how you doing today? Everybody doing well? All right. Well, it's great to see you guys, all of you who are in the room. And then, of course, if you are joining us on live stream, we do just want to extend a very special welcome to you as well. Welcome, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, like Colin just mentioned a moment ago, I do just want to say that if it's your first time here, if it's your first time at Grace, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. Just say thanks so much for being our guest, and we hope that you feel welcomed because you are welcomed, and we're really glad that you're able to be here. But I do want you to know that if you are just joining us, you're actually catching us in the third week, the third part of our Christmas series called Emmanuel Beyond Us and Beside Us. And so because you're just joining us, let me kind of give you just kind of a quick snapshot of what this series is all about. Uh, so basically, uh, this Christmas series that, that we're in together, we kind of said this. We said, you know, it's really easy to just sort of rush right through the holidays and kind of miss Jesus. It's easy sometimes to get swept up in the celebrations and the traditions and the parties and the, all, all these things, many of them very, very good things. But it's easy to kind of get so swept up in those things that sometimes we can miss an opportunity to really kind of make space in our hearts and our minds to really think about Jesus, the, the gift that God has given us in the sending of his son. And so here's what we said. We said in this series, quite simply, we just want to create some space and want to create some room in our hearts and in our minds and in our time together to really listen to the message that God has communicated through the sending of his son. Now, those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that might not be everybody here today, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we believe that that is what it is that we are truly commemorating at Christmas. That more than the traditions and the celebrations and all those things are good, Christmas is really about the reality that God came to be with us. And that's what we're really celebrating together. Uh, here's what we said uh, over the last couple of weeks. We said Christmas really tells us a lot about who God is. Christmas reveals to us certain aspects and attribu attributes about who God is. And specifically, you may have noticed that we've titled the series Emmanuel Beyond Us and Beside Us. You might be asking why beyond us and beside us. Well, we said that one of the characteristics or some of the characteristics that Christmas helps us understand is something that we call the transcendence and the imminence of God. Now, let me just say that if you are just joining us, if you missed the past couple of weeks, and if you're not familiar with these terms, these might sound like, you know, kind of lofty theological terms. But I want you to understand that these are actually very, very, very important attributes and characteristics about God that the Bible tells us about, God's transcendence and his imminence. So just to review what those mean, transcendence, we said, means this. It means that God is infinitely above us and God is infinitely beyond us. So the idea of God's transcendence is that God's, his ways are higher than our ways, that God is, is exalted, that he is on high, that there is no... There, he, he fits in no category that a human mind can construct. That's the idea of God's transcendence. And imminence, we said, means that God is intimately among us and that he is beside us. God is both beyond us and yet he is also beside us. Or put another way, here's what we said in the last couple of weeks. We said you could think of transcendence as God's holy distance. God's holy distance. We talked about that quite a bit last week, about the idea of holiness and God's God's holy distance. But imminence is the idea of God's gracious presence. He's close and he's available and he's aware. And it's all those things together. Now, here's what we said. We said one of the things that makes Christianity utterly unique is that we, when we look at the Bible, we're going to see that the Bible is going to tell us that God is both completely transcendent and at the very same time, he is totally imminent. He is, he is both of these things entirely. God is not one or the other. He is not one at the expense of the other. He is not sometimes one and sometimes the other. The Bible is going to present to us a God who is completely transcendent. 
And at the same time, he is absolutely imminent that he is with us. Now, for us, that is really hard to think about. That's a paradox that's hard to put together. However, here's what we said. We said what makes, what Christmas, what makes Christmas so amazing is that Christmas in many ways is the, is the harmonization of these two characteristics of God. Because what do you see at Christmas? You see God, the transcendent creator of the universe, with us. He's close and he's imminent. The transcendent becoming imminent, transcendence and imminence together harmonized in Christmas. And so because of all of this, what we've done in the series is we said we want to take some time to really think about these attributes of God. So last week, we spent the entire time thinking about God's transcendence. And we said, what does it mean when the Bible says that God is transcendent? How does that impact the way that we understand God? How does that impact the way that we relate to God? And then we said, how does that impact and inform how we celebrate Christmas? So this week, what we want to do is I want to invite you to zoom in with me on the second attribute of God's imminence. What do we mean when we say that God is imminent? And then how does that impact the way that we understand and relate to God? And then how does that impact the way that we celebrate Christmas? That's what I want to think about a little bit together today. So to do this, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. And as we think about God's imminence, would you open them with me to Psalm 139? So we're going to go. Psalm 139 is where I want to invite you to open your Bibles to. That, by the way, in the Bibles that we have under the chairs uh, is page 505. And so you can go ahead and flip there to page 505. Let me just say, too, that if you don't physically own a copy of the Bible, uh, you can feel free to take one of those home with you, make it a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. So Psalm 139 is where we're going to go, all right? Now, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different here this morning than what we typically do here at Grace. But I think this might be a meaningful way to kind of change things up, and especially in light of the psalm that we're going to read. So I'm actually going to read this psalm in its entirety. I'm going to read the whole thing. So it's a little bit of a long psalm, and I'll read the whole thing. And I actually want to invite you, if you would and if you're able, if you would stand to your feet as we read this together. All right, so have your, keep your Bibles open. I'm going to read it to us. Stand to your feet if you would. And I want to invite you, as we listen to this psalm, to listen not just with your ears, but let this psalm just wash over you. And listen even with your heart at just some of the magnificent words that we're going to read here together. So let me read the whole thing for us. So Psalm 139, for the director of music of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. 
all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word. You guys can have a seat at this point. So it's an incredible psalm. And my guess is for some of you, a familiar one. Maybe you've heard it, you've read it before, or you've heard quotes from this psalm. And as many, as many things as we could say about this psalm and as many things that this psalm says about God and who he is, I think that one of the prominent themes that you're gonna see is that this psalm helps us understand the imminence of God, the imminence of God. I think specifically there's three aspects that I wanna invite you to consider with me that I think this psalm reveals to us about God's imminence. So here's what I think we're going to see. I think this psalm is going to show us, first off, the inescapable fact of God's imminence. I think that's what we're going to see, the inescapable fact of God's imminence. Secondly, I think this psalm is going to, it's going to help us see the imposing threat of God's imminence. I think lastly, what we're going to see in this psalm is the transforming joy of God's imminence. So that's what we're going to think about, the inescapable fact, the imposing threat and the transforming joy of God's imminence. So let's just start at the top. And I actually want to spend most of our little, the time we have remaining talking about the inescapable fact of God's imminence. You know, um, this is a long psalm. So if we were going to take, uh, kind of take it line by line and word for word, we'd be here for a very long time. And so we won't do that. Uh, but what's interesting is if you, if you actually step back and you look at this psalm kind of from a distance, you actually notice that uh, there are certain sentences that are used, and they almost serve as headings within the psalm. So let me show you what I mean. So you're going to see that King David starts in verse 1, and in this psalm, he says, God, you have searched me, and you know me. So he uses that, that line, and then the verses that follow that, almost in some ways, they kind of elaborate on that idea. And then the second thing he says is he says, where can I flee from your presence in verse 7? And then he goes on and he elaborates on that thought. And then after that, he says in verse 13, you created me in my inmost being, is what he says. So in other words, I want you to kind of get this. Here's basically what David just said. He said, God, you know me. God, you're with me. And God, you made me. And so he's gonna elaborate on this. God, you know me. God, you're with me. And God, you made me. Now, what was all that talking about? I think what all that is pointing to is it's pointing to the inescapable, all-encompassing reality of God's imminence. That's the idea. God, you know me. God, you are with me. God, you are the one who's responsible for creating me. You are so close to me. This is the idea of God's imminence. Uh, Look at verse one with me again. Uh, David uses two very important words as he opens this psalm. He says, God, you search me and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. Again, I think these are two very important words. Uh, In the Hebrew language, uh, the word search, this idea of search, some of your translations say, God, you have investigated me. That might be the word that it says. Literally, it comes from a word, and this is a quote from a Bible dictionary. They said the primary idea behind this word is perhaps that of searching in the earth by digging. So if you kind of get that idea of someone who's digging under the surface, 
Here's what he said. He says, God, you, in other words, he's saying, God, you know me beneath the surface. You know what's going on even down into the roots of who I am. You know me in the deepest parts. Of, you got the whole scoop on me, God. That's what he's saying. There, there's nothing that's within me that's concealed to you because you know me all the way under the surface. So he says, God, you, you search me, but then he also says, and you know me, and you know me. And the word that's used there is an important word because the word yada, which is used in the Hebrew, it literally means a relational knowing. So this is far more than an intellectual knowledge. He's not just saying, I know facts about you. He's saying, no, I know you. I am intimately and personally aware of who you are. So David says, God, you have searched me. You know me. You know me all the way down to the depths of who I am. Then, and then he elaborates on this thought. Because look what he says in verse two. He says, God, you know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. You see what he says? It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm sitting, if I'm standing, if I'm leaving, if I'm going, if I'm coming, it doesn't matter. You know know everything it is that I'm doing. And then notice what he says here. He says, and you discern these things. You discern these things about me. Again, I think this is actually a really helpful word picture. The word that David uses for discern is actually the the same word in the Hebrew for uh, the word winnow. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before, W-I-N-N-O-W, winnow. It actually is a, it's actually an agricultural term. It's a farming term. I think this is a great word picture. And the idea of uh, back in ancient times, uh, when a farmer was, was harvesting specifically wheat, one of the things they would use is a winnowing fork. And they basically would take the wheat and they would put it on the fork and they'd throw it up in the air. And that allowed the wheat and the chaff to kind of separate. So the chaff, which was lighter, would blow away in the wind, and then the wheat, which was heavier, would fall to the ground. So they would separate the wheat and the chaff. This is the same word that David uses here. He says, God, you discern these things about me. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means God discerns and he separates the motivations behind my actions. That God doesn't just know what I do. God knows why I do what I do. He searches and he discerns even the, the motives, even the motives that I myself might not be entirely aware of. God searches and he discerns and he separates those things and he knows, he knows why we do the things that we do. And I tell you, he goes on and he says this, he says in God, he says, you're familiar with all my ways. Literally, you are acquainted with everything about me. So what David is saying is, not only do you know my actions, not only do you know my motivations, but you know even the little peculiarities about who I am. You know, even the little idiosyncrasies. We all have idiosyncrasies about us, don't we? Things that are peculiar, that are unique to us. We all have those. I'm curious what yours are. Uh, maybe after service, you can find me and tell me what yours are. I'll give you a couple. I'll just give you for fun. Just for illustration, I'll give you a couple. I'll give you one of mine. Uh, one of my idiosyncrasies, I was asking my wife, I was like, should I share this with people? It's a little embarrassing. And she's like, yeah, you definitely should. So um, one of mine, this is, this is a weird thing about me, as far back as I can remember, um, this, this, every time I try, if I go to a store or something, I try a shirt on, the first thing that I do when I look in the mirror is I play air guitar. It's the first thing I do. And I don't know why it's my default. It's just for me, it's the test of whether or not it's a good shirt. Can it sustain the air guitar solo, and uh, that's what I do. So I've been doing, that, been doing that my whole life. I'll give you another idiosyncrasy. This one's actually is one of my wife's idiosyncrasies. I asked her for permission, by the way, so this is all safe. Uh, but uh, 
I noticed when she and I started dating, I, I observed something about her that I thought was kind of, it's definitely a peculiarity about her that I just absolutely love it. But uh, whenever she's surprised by something or she sees something that kind of is surprising to her, she'll say, oh my gosh. But the way that she says it is in a very sing-songy way. So it sounds like this. She'll go, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So now whenever she does it, I just look at her and I go, da-da-da. I'm like, da-da. And you can play it on a piano. It's like a jingle, da-da-da. So if you see my wife do that to her. But that's like her, and I'm just saying, we all have them. We have little, you have them too. And I think what he's saying here is, man, God knows us, and he even knows us down to those little things, the little peculiarities and idiosyncrasies of who we are. He's well acquainted with all of our ways. And then he goes on, look what he says down in verse seven. He says, and God, you're with me. He says, not only do you know me, but you're with me. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, from your presence. This is worth noting. The word presence that, that is used in the Old Testament literally is the same word for face. And so when the Bible talks about God's presence, what is it talking about? It's basically this idea. Wherever you go, there's God's face. That God is facing you. That he is, listen, his attention and his awareness is directed to you. That's the idea we're talking. So I want you to understand that when we talk about the idea of God's imminence, and we say that everywhere you go, God is there. What we're not saying, what the Bible is not saying, is that God's presence is like some impersonal permeating force. Not like, like, like you think about Wi-Fi. Like I could say, well, Wi-Fi is everywhere. And you'd be like, yeah, I, I understand what you mean, but we don't see it. You can't interact with it. It's not personal. That's not what God's imminence is like. God's imminence is like, like he's, fa- he's facing you. He's aware. He's attentive. That's the idea. The reason this is important, there's certain belief systems out there like pantheism and deism. I don't know if you're familiar with those. But they basically present us with an understanding of imminence that tells us that, yes, God is with us everywhere, but God is impersonal. He's an impersonal force. And that's not what you see in the Bible. The Bible's going to say, no, God is very personal, and he's attentive, and he's aware. His face is towards you in every moment and every place. Then he's going to say, God, you know me. You're with me. Verse 13, you made me. And so now David draws his attention to his own anatomy. And what does he conclude? He says, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Such a famous verse. I praise you because I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that. I know that all too well, full well. David says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's what the Bible is going to say. David looks at himself. He looks at his own anatomy. And what does he recognize? He says that the, that the, creative, the creative maker, who is behind, the creative initiative that was behind the formation of who I am is God. And he says, and I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. God is the one who is behind even my formation and my creation. He uses these great words. He says, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. The word fearfully, I got this is really great. The word fearfully means to approach with great reverence, with heartfelt interest, and deep respect. It's to, it's to approach something or someone with great reverence, heartfelt interest, and deep respect. You know, when we talk about approaching someone fearfully in this way, a lot of times we tend to think that this is the way we should approach God. Right? We should approach God with great reverence and heartfelt interest and deep respect, and that's true. But do you notice that in this passage, the Bible actually tells us that this is the way that God approaches us in our formation, that we are 
created with great reverence, with heartfelt interest, and with deep respect. Notice the analogy he uses. He says, in fact, we're knit together in our mother's room. Knit together. It's an interesting term. You guys, uh, any of you guys knit? Are any of you knitters? Have you ever knit before? Um, I have not ever knit in my life. I, don't, I probably don't have the patience for it. But honestly, I've observed it. And based on my observations, it seems like it's not careless. And it seems like when someone's knitting, it's not hurried. It's thoughtful. It's intentional. It's actually a very loving act when someone gives you something that is knit together because of the thought and the time and the intentionality. And that's what he says. He says, this is the way that we were made. And it's interesting. I've had the, um, the great privilege of talking to a lot of different people in our church and I've found that um, there's been many people in our church who have studied human anatomy, whether it's for their undergrad or it's for, you know, for their medical career or whatever it is, they've studied human anatomy. And I have heard so many people who have went through that process who have come back and they've told me, man, after I studied human anatomy, I was just overwhelmed. I was blown away with the incredible intentionality in which God has created us. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not smart enough to understand a lot of that stuff, and so I can't really give you a great, a great profound example on that, but I'll give you one silly example, maybe, that just came across my mind, my, my simple mind, the other day. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about this whole idea, and I was just thinking about, about the brilliance and intentionality of how you and I are created. And I started thinking about things that are, are seemingly obsolete, like, like I was thinking about even like our fingernails, do you ever think about your fingernails? This is going to sound so trippy. Do you ever think about your fingernails very much? And just the, and just, man, the seemingly obsolete little things. And I'm like, when God created us, he could have just skipped, he could have bypassed the fingernail. And he could have just gave us nubs. He could have done that if he wanted to. Or he could have given us claws. Like, he could have totally done that too. But instead, God in his loving kindness and his brilliance gave us this little protein phenomenon that's growing out of the end of your finger called a fingernail. And I mean, you guys, how brilliant, how genius, how useful is this to us? My goodness, I mean, the, our fingernails are awesome. You got a little itch? No problem. God gave you little scratchers. You got it, right? You have it right there. You got to do some kind of precision dexterity thing. Got to pick up something small or, you know, you got to, I don't know, button a button no problem. God gave us these little, they're, they're phenomenal for, I mean, even just like grooming. You got a little comb right there if you need it. Right there it is. God just gave us it. You got a little set of tweezers if you need them for anything that you need. Did you guys ever think about this? Your fingernail on the end of your finger is a perfectly designed accessory to just get right, you get right in there. I'm just saying, you guys, what kind of God who's behind the, the sun, the moon, and the stars in the universe is mindful enough that he gives little old us a way to pick our nose. He's so, and here's the whole point. He is so, God is so, we are so fearfully made. He knows the intricacies. He's, it's thoughtful. It's intentional. But then he says this. He says, and you know what? You're also wonderfully made. And the word wonderful is such a great word. It literally means unique and marvelous. That's literally what it means. Unique and marvelous. That we are created fearfully, we are also created wonderfully. That Listen, here, here's the idea. Every single one of us, we are all an unrepeatable miracle. Every single one of us. You are, you are, even though there's similarities between all of us, we are all utterly distinct. Not to be too corny, but you've heard it before, like, oh, you're a snowflake. Well, we kind of are. No, no, no two of us are the same. And God has created us that way. We're fearfully 
and we're wonderfully made. You know, I think for this reason, you guys, this passage is one of those places that I think we see a very clear biblical precedence, precedence to honor, to protect, and to give dignity to the unborn. Like this is one of those passages that you can look at that gives us biblical precedence for that. Now, I don't want you to hear that statement as primary politi- primarily political because it's actually primarily theological. It's about human dignity. There is, listen, we are not created. There's nothing random about the way that we were formed. We are created with respect. We are created with great reverence and heartfelt interest by our creator, God. Here's the bottom line. Do you have any idea how valuable you are to God? You're so valuable to him. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. In fact, it's so important that you know that about yourself and about other people. Why don't you just look to the person next to you and why don't you just remind them, say, hey, you are a wonderful snowflake. Just do that. Turn to the person next to you and just encourage them. You are a wonderful snowflake. Tell them that. It's good. They need to know it. You need to know it too. Now do me a favor. Uh, do this now. Turn to, uh, turn to your second choice, the other neighbor, and tell them, say, you're, you are a fearful fingernail. I don't know. Just stay out. So it's kind of All right, it's good. It's kind of dumb, but it's good. So, but we're fearfully and wonderful. So David, again, David's going to, he's pointing to the, inescap- the inescapable reality of the imminence of God. He's going to say, God, you know me. God, you're with me. God, you made me. All of that is about the imminence of God. But I think this psalm is also going to reveal to us, in addition to that, the imposing threat, the imposing threat of God. And you might be saying, what do you mean by that? The language that David uses in this psalm is, honestly, some of it is some very, very, very strong language. So if you look at verse 5, David says this. He says, God, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, here's what I think is really fascinating. That term that he uses is literally a military term. Um, It's the word besiege. It says, God, you besiege me. You hem me in. You besiege me. Some of you guys know this. King David, the one who wrote this psalm, was also a mighty warrior. And so he was someone who was well acquainted with battle. He had seen a lot of war. And he chooses to use this word to speak about God's imminence. He says, God, your imminence is like, like I'm besieged. It's like I'm cornered. It's like I'm trapped. How does that make you feel when you hear that? God, your presence traps me. God, your presence besieges me. And then he actually elaborates on this and he says, where can I go from your spirit? Obviously a rhetorical question, nowhere. Where can I flee? Where can I run? He says, there's nowhere to run. There's, again, strong language. that there's no escaping him. That means that there's no way you can go from his presence. That means that he sees everything and he knows everything. And that means that he sees and he knows everything about you. That means that, listen, if God's imminence, the reality of his imminence means that God is present right now, he's here. And that also means that he's equally as present and near as you when you're alone in your car. 
And sometimes you hear it. We, I think this is a hard idea for us to get our mind around. I think you hear it sometimes the way we talk. I'll hear people say, oh, I shouldn't say that in church. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you leave church, he's still there. So I don't know. You know, it's just, it's, and it, it, the idea is God is everywhere. And that means that God is with you. Listen, he is with you and your greatest in your greatest, the things that you're most pr- proud about, the things that you're most excited about, your greatest successes. He's also with you in your greatest failures. He's with you in your times of deepest regret. He's with you. He knows. God knows everything. He knows your deepest motivations of your heart. He knows your internet search history. There's nothing that is undisclosed from him. And I think sometimes, quite honestly, God's imminence, his, the reality of his imminence can seem like an imposing threat. And why is that? Well, I think it's because of this. I think it's because inside of all of us, sometimes we have this fear of exposure. We fear being exposed. Because we know that if someone really knows everything that's going on in our hearts and our lives and our minds, that means that there's some things in there that we are maybe kind of scared for people to see. You know, can I just say, I, this is something that I believe, maybe just my opinion, but I believe that inside of every single one of us, every single one of us, that we all share, knowingly or unknowingly, I believe we all share a deep desire to be fully known. I think we do. I think we all want, we want to be fully known. We want someone to know everything. We want someone or God to know everything about us. But what's interesting is, is that we want to be fully known. And I think the reason that we want to be fully known is because we want to be truly loved. We want to be truly loved. And I think we all know this, that if you say you love me, but you don't actually know me, that's nice, but it's not, it's superficial. For someone to truly love you, that means that they have to know you. And I think for many of us, we, we want to be fully known because we want to be truly loved. And yet what's interesting is for some of us, we're scared of being fully known because we're afraid that we're not going to be accepted for who we really are. So we're stuck. We're stuck. I think what happens sometimes when we find ourselves in a place like this is that we're inclined to respond in one of two ways. I think the ways that we're inclined to respond is we either want to pretend or we want to perform. Those are the two things we want to do. We either want to pretend. And so, so sometimes we pretend. We try to mask ourselves. We try to present a version of ourselves that we believe is gonna be more acceptable. We put a mask on. Or we're inclined to perform. And so we feel like we have to do certain things to earn acceptance from other people. And you guys, I I think we can probably all be honest and say, you probably would agree with me on this, that the church especially, that the church is a place where I feel like we can oftentimes feel the most inclined to wanna pretend or perform. Now, the church is an easy place for us to feel like we need to put a mask on. And sometimes we feel like we need to put on a mask for each other. We need to put a mask on for God. And we're afraid. We're just afraid that if you actually, if you really knew who I am, if you really knew what I struggled with, if you really knew what I thought, if you really knew the doubts that I had, if God really knew those things about me, that I wouldn't be fully accepted. Or we choose to perform. And so we try to earn it. We try to earn favor from each other. We try to earn accolades. We try to earn some kind of placement with God in some way or another. But I think what this passage is showing us, I think what it's showing us is, you guys, there is no pretending and there is no performing with God. There's none of those things. We can't, we can't hide from God and we can't earn from God. We can do neither one of those things. We can't hide from God. You guys, you guys think about how foolish that is to try to hide from God. Hiding from God is like, is like playing hide and seek with a toddler. You guys ever done it before? You walk in the living room and there's a giggling blanket. And you're like, I found you. And this, you can't do it. You can't do it. But here, you guys, that might sound like a threat to you. If I say, man, you can't hide from God and you can't earn from God, that might sound threatening to you until you realize that it's that you don't actually have to. You don't have to. 
And I think what you come to realize is that when you choose to acknowledge God's imminence and live in the light of his presence, you actually discover that every time you turn to him, you find grace and you find mercy. It's actually what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we draw near to God, every time we receive grace, we'll receive mercy and we'll find grace. Every single time we'll turn to him. And I think what this is showing us is the third thing. It's a transforming joy of God's imminence. It may seem like an imposing threat, but I think what David is inviting us into is he's saying, actually, there's a transforming joy that's available to you in living in the light of the imminence of God. So what does it mean then to live in the imminence of God? I think it means this. It means that at any point, at any time, anywhere, no matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you did last night, that you can turn to God at any point, at any time, because he is facing you. His face is towards you. He's aware and he's attentive. And that means that that grace and mercy is available to you at any point in time. It's an amazing thing. Now, at this point, there might be a question that might be rolling through your mind. And it's a question that honestly was rolling through my mind as I was preparing this message. And I wanted to spend a moment on it. Maybe some of you are thinking this. Okay, if God is so near... If God's presence is so close, if you're saying that his imminence is an inescapable reality, then why is it that he often seems so far? If God is, if God is, if the Bible tells us that God is with us in this way, then why is it that sometimes I feel seasons or maybe even prolonged seasons of distance from God? I think it's a fair question. I think it'd be disingenuous if we said that we didn't experience that. See, the truth is that part of following Jesus means that there will be seasons where we feel this dissonance, a divine dissonance, as if God is absent. So what do you do in times like that? Well, let me just say this. I think because the Bible is going to tell us that God's imminence is an inescapable fact, that it is true that God is close, that reveals to us that when we feel distance from God, that means that our problem is not spatial. Our problem is spiritual. There's a spiritual issue that's happening there. And you might be asking, well, what, what, what causes that? Well, let me just give you a few thoughts on this that might be helpful, especially if you're a person who's in a place this morning where you feel distant from God. Let me just give you a few maybe thoughts that might be helpful. So what do you do when God seems distant? What do you do when you feel that there is distance in your relationship with God? Well, let me just give you a few thoughts and I'll start with, I think this is the, the most important beginning point is this. Because if you haven't, I think the starting place is that you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to give your life to Christ. You know, some of you are, um, are here and you're investigating Jesus. Some of you are, would say that you're not a follower of Christ. You're still trying to figure out your faith. And I just want to say, we say this all the time, but it's just, it's true. We count it such an honor and a privilege that you would let us be part of your spiritual investigation because you can do anything you want with your time. So we count it a privilege that you'd let us be part of that. But I do want to say that if you're in a place where you're investigating Jesus and you've never had a moment where you said, you know what, I'm not just investigating, I'm following now. And I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to place my faith and I'm going to give my life over to you and I'm going to be your follower. I think if you've never done that, I think that's the beginning point of experiencing a true relationship with God because here's what the Bible's going to say. The Bible's going to say that the reason that God sent his son is because he wanted to offer us a reconciled relationship. Jesus was sent so that we could have a right relationship with God. So in Jesus, we experience the forgiveness of sins. We place our faith in him. But we also experience the hope of the resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants to come so close that the Holy Spirit himself will enter into our lives and lead us and guide us. But here's the truth. 
God will never force that on you. He won't. He will not force that on you. It's your decision. And so I would just say, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, I guess my question is, what's keeping you? What's keeping you from putting your faith in Christ? And you can do that. You can do it even right now. There's not some magic formula. You can just tell God. You can say, I'm done investigating. And by faith, I'm following. And I, want, I invite you to be my savior. I, have, I give my life to you and I want to follow you. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. Now, many of us follow Jesus. So what do we do when God seems distant? Well, here's one thought that I have. I think that maybe a good thing is to confess sin. That if there is unconfessed patterns of, in your life of, of things that are happening that you know are not what God desires, I think that maybe a great place is to confess those sins to God. So there's a lot of different reasons we can feel distant from God. But I would say that one of them, by the way, one of them, not all the time, one of the reasons we feel distant is because there is unconfessed sin or unconfessed patterns in our life that we know are out of alignment with what God desires for us. And I'll be honest with you, I can just speak, this is to my own discredit. I can just tell you from my own life experience that prolonged patterns of living in rebellion against what God desires creates distance in your relationship with God. It just does. Not because God is the one who turned his back on you, but because you're the one who's turning your face from him. And so, but here's the good news. The good news is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the Bible's gonna say that every time we choose to turn back to God and confess to him, that there is forgiveness that's available to us. Now to be clear, we've talked about this before at the Medina East Campus, confession is not just me reciting my sins back to God. That's not what it is. He already knows. He already knows. What is confession? Confession is actually about this. It's standing in agreement with God. It's saying, God, not only did I do this, but I agree with you about what this is and how damaging this is to me and to my relationship with you. And so I'm choosing to live my life in alignment with you. I believe that when you do that, what you're gonna find is that there's a restored relationship that God has for you. That's not the only reason though. So what, what do I do when God seems distant? I think maybe for some of us, this, express your emotions to God, but trust his word over your emotions. Um, you know, we are, you guys know this, we are told the message that we're taught so often is that we should, we should put a lot of credibility in how we feel. And we're kind of told that the ultimate way to determine truth is whether or not it feels good or not. And so follow your heart. And if it feels right, then it is right. And that's kind of what we're told over and over again. And so because of that, we tend to give more credibility to our feelings than anything else, than even God's word. But the Bible's gonna tell us that God's word never changes. That God's word is certain and it's true. And I think what that means is because our feelings are temperamental, we have to, we have to choose to trust God's word over our feelings. Now, what I'm not saying, though, is this. I'm not saying that means that you should just deny your feelings. And I'm not saying that means that you should just stuff your feelings. If you feel distant from God, I'm not just saying, hey, just suck it up. That's not what I'm saying. I actually think, I actually think that the Bible is going to show us, the Psalms themselves are going to show us that the place that we take those raw emotions is we take them to God. And you're going to see that in the Psalms. If you guys have ever read the Psalms, they are laced with raw human emotion. I mean, you guys actually saw it in this. Did you guys notice that one verse in this psalm that just seems really out of place? I don't know if you guys noticed it. Verse 19, look what David says. He's going through this psalm. He's like, God, you know me. You love me. You fearfully and wonderfully made me. And then all of a sudden, it takes this kind of dark turn. And he's like, God, if you would just kill the wicked, 
that'd be all right, you know? And then he's like, God, I hate people who hate you. Would you kill them too? And you're like, what? Like that's in the Bible? And some of you are like, am I allowed to pray that? Am I like, like if, I, if, I could, if I knew I could pray like that, I might pray more often, you know? And that's the kind of thing. What's going on here? What is going on? Well, can I just tell you what I'm convinced is going on here? I think what's happening is that David is praying with his heart what is in his heart to God. I think that's what he's doing. God already knows anyway. I think he's praying this to God. I think this is actually very liberating. It's very instructing. Because what it's instructing us is it's saying that we can take our raw emotions to God. But I believe that what it's also showing us is that we choose to trust God's word over our emotions. Because you guys notice in the very next verse, right after this, what's David do? Right after he says this, he turns the prayer on himself. So he says, God, I hate those who hate you. And then he turns the prayer on himself. And then he says, God, search me. Know my heart. Test me. See if there's any offensive way in me, is what he says. What's he basically saying? He's saying, God, I don't just hate sin in, out there. I hate it in here too. And so I'm inviting your word. I'm inviting your direction into my life. I think, again, this is showing us that the best place that we can take our emotions. If you feel distant from God, one of the best places that you can take that emotion is right back to God. And with honesty, say, God, I feel far from you. I feel distant from you. I don't like this. I'm frustrated with that. You can tell him that. It's one of the places that we can take our emotions. One last thought on this one. What do we do when God feels distant? I think we need to draw near, and I think we need to seek continually. Like, what does that mean, to draw near and seek continually? Here's the point I'm trying to make, is the Bible's gonna tell us that God's imminence is an inescapable reality, that we can't escape his imminence. However, what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that living in light of his presence does not require any effort on our part. That's not true. The Bible's actually gonna say things like this. It's gonna say that we should seek God, that we should draw near to God. You guys hear those terms? Those are active. That requires effort on our part. So I want you to understand, we can't earn anything from God, but that doesn't mean that a relationship with him doesn't require effort. It requires effort. You know, God has actually given us, he's actually in his grace, he's provided for us means in which we can experience his presence. Do you guys know that? God has actually provided you everything that you need to be able to experience his indwelling presence. Like, what, what do you mean? Well, I'll give you a couple. He's given us community. He's given us each other. He's given us the church. Do you guys know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in his people? He dwells in us together. And so, so it's no wonder if I distance myself from biblical community, if I distance myself from a body of believers, from a church, if I deprioritize that or I distance that in my life, it's no wonder that I feel distant from God. Of course I feel distant from God because one of the means that God has given me to experience his presence is with his people. How about this one? God's given us his word. He's given us his very word. He's given us the Bible so that we can know his heart and so that we can know his story of redemption in human history. But the truth is, you know, if we distance ourselves from God's word, no wonder that we're gonna feel distant from him. No wonder. I think one of the most important habits in the life of a person who's following Jesus is regular time in God's word, at least daily time in God's word. I think it's really important. God's given us prayer. We can access him at any point, anywhere. We can cry out to him and acknowledge his presence, acknowledge that he's close. We can just say, God, help me. God, be with me. God, thank you. Right there in the moment, he's given us that. 
Can I just give you guys one really practical and helpful, just something that's been so helpful for me on this whole topic. So my wife and I recently discovered these books that we've completely fallen in love with. Some of you guys have maybe heard of these before. I highly recommend these things. They're incredible. Uh, They're called Every Moment Holy. And some of you guys maybe have seen this before, but all they are is they are quick, they're fast. It takes you maybe sometimes 30 seconds, sometimes a minute or two to read one of them. They're these little prayers, but they're these little prayers for the, just for the tiniest and most like seemingly kind of like normal moments of your life. And all it is is a recognition of God's presence. Let me just give you a quick sample of some of the different prayers. There's a bunch of them, hundreds of them, but let me just give you some samples. So you guys, there's a prayer for laundering. So when you do laundry, not money, but like when you're doing laundry, there's a prayer for that. I like this one. For the changing of diapers, one. And then there's a follow-up for the changing of diapers, two. That one's a double prayer one right there. You gotta have two prayers. I thought that was funny. Uh, how about this one? For those who cover the latest technology. It's just, there's a, this incredible little prayer for, the, for those who feel awkward in social gatherings. So if you guys need that this holiday season, right? How about this one? Tempted to procrastinate. I was going to read that one, and I figured I'll get around to it later, and it's good, but uh, I'm just saying, man, that was bad. Uh, these, uh, but I'm just saying, these are, these are so helpful. My wife and I have fallen in love with these things, and I'll tell you why, and they're awesome. They're awesome little prayers, by the way, but I'll tell you why I like it so much, because it trains our heart. It trains my heart to recognize and to live in light of God's imminence at every moment, that at any moment, at any time, God is always facing me, but I choose to face him to find the transforming joy of his presence. Ask the band to come up, and uh, as the band makes their way up, um, some of you might be thinking to yourself, okay, what, is, what does this have to do with Christmas? Help me, help me understand that. And you guys, here's what I believe. I believe that the imminence that we see in Psalm 139, the imminence of God, is more fully and is more clearly expressed at Christmas time. Because at Christmas, what do we see? We see how dedicated God really is to being near to us and the sending of his son, Jesus. I think that Christmas shows us this, that the God who knows you and the God who's with you and the God who made you, that that same God wants to be known by you. And he wants to be known in such a way that he came to us relationally. He came to us as a person. He came even into our suffering in the person of Jesus. He's so committed. So I'd like to end with this. I'd actually like to end by inviting you to pray a prayer if you'd be willing to do this. And the prayer that I wanna invite you to pray is where where David lands in this psalm. You guys may have noticed, David ends with this very famous prayer. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I can just tell you something I thought was really fascinating. Did you guys notice back in verse one how he starts the psalm? Here's how David starts the psalm. He says, God, you have searched me and you know me. You have searched. He says, God, you search me and you know me. But then at the end of the psalm, he says, God, he invites God, search me and know me. That's kind of confusing. He, he just said, God already searched him and God already knows him. So why is he praying at the end, God, search me and know me? And can I tell you what I think is going on? I think this prayer is David's response to the imminence of God. This isn't about God turning his face to David. This is about David turning his face to God. This is about David saying, God, you're with me, and now I recognize that, and I invite you. I don't resist you. I invite your presence in my life. I invite you to search me. God, I invite you to test me. You guys ever pray that before? That is a bold prayer. 
You know what test literally means? It means to be refined by fire. God, test me. God, would you see if there's anything that's offending you in me? And then, God, would you lead me? I am inviting your leadership in my life. I am not resisting your leadership. I am not bucking your leadership. I am inviting your leadership into my life. And you guys, this is the prayer that I think that we are called to pray in light of God's imminence. And this is the prayer that I wanna invite you. If you'd be so bold to pray even right now in the time that we have together, would you be bold enough to pray this prayer? God, would you search me? I invite you. God, would you test me? I invite you. God, would you show me any offense in me? I invite you. And God, would you lead me? I invite your leadership. I don't resist it. I invite it. If you'd be so bold, I just actually just want to give you a little bit of space. I want to, and so I actually asked if the band would just take a minute and if they would just play instrumentally and give you a little bit of quiet. And would you just talk to God? Just you talk to him. And if you're bold enough, we'll leave this verse on the screen. Would you pray that from an honest place in your heart? He's facing you. He is with you. He is near to you. Are you willing to reach out your hands to him and embrace that? Take some time, pray that in your own heart, and then we'll worship together in a moment.